What's up, guys? Welcome to Tech Exploited. I'm Sharon Pack, and today my friend Michael Kang, an Amazon technical recruiter, spills all the tea on how to get noticed on LinkedIn, what information actually matters on your resume, tips to pass Amazon's technical interviews, and a common mistake you might be making that guarantees recruiters from any company won't be calling you back after you submit your application. What are some skills that you look at when you're going through people's profiles on LinkedIn or looking at resumes where you're like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to send it to the hiring manager. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Loaded question as well, because there's there's really a lot of things that you can look for in a resume. But for me, a lot of the things that I look for were great adjectives at the very beginning, something they spearheaded or they were a leader in. That's kind of a word that I'd be looking for that would catch my eye. And I'd be like, all right, so I want to see what else they have to say about that. And then in the resume, if they're very specific about their accomplishments, and what I mean by specific is if they have uh, very like hard data, percentages, numbers, like you know, they worked on a project and because they increased something within the workflow mm. by 17%, um, the business was XYZ successful, something like that. So that's kind of what I search for initially, especially in a lot of tech resumes. I want to see that they led projects. I want to see that they were constantly improving some sort of function, like a button for a website. You know, It could be something small, but I just want to see that they're making an effort actively to make a program or make a software more efficient. Okay. And so I feel like that's probably more relevant for people that have mm-hmm. been working in the industry for a couple of years where they've improved something by a certain metric, or maybe they even did that at like an internship. Students who are just right out of school, maybe they don't even have a CS degree, but they've learned CS on the side on their own or something like that. Like, what would you look for or recommend people with that type of background to do if they're interested in working for a company like Amazon? Yeah, I, I guess um, this applies to tech people, but honestly, anyone else too. If if you're if you're trying to get into whatever profession you're trying to get into, you need to work on projects. And specifically for tech people, if you're developing software, just find projects and start developing software. Just keep coding every day, and then talk about your accomplishments and post your projects and, and what you've accomplished on GitHub as well. That's something a lot of mm. recruiters, especially tech recruiters, will be looking for to see your accomplishments, especially if you're new. And then also. I think a lot of colleges, they want to simulate um, what it's like to work in a corporate setting. So if you're in school, you're working on a project, did you have help spearhead the bigger components and aspects in that project? And then mm-hmm. and then if you're able to collect some really crucial data on what you do specifically to impact that project and by mm-hmm. what percentage, right? And you're really specific mm-hmm. about that. I think that's something recruiters are really adamant about looking for. We want to see that you're not just someone that coasts by and does the bare minimum. We want to see that you're excelling and you're always trying to find something to make that project better or that software, whatever you're working on a little bit better. What are some projects that you've seen where you're like, wow, that's really cool? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So this is personally, as a gamer, you probably know where this is going. I've seen a lot of developers create <laughs> games or or better yet, they there's a game I used to play called World of Warcraft. Um, we're going to go on a little tangent okay. here. It's kind of a technical game. There's a lot of add-ons that you can download to enhance the interface of the game. So it'll make it more convenient. And there's like okay. quality of life changes that'll make the game easier to play. Ooh. So a developer, okay. um, yeah, they made a really great application that made it very easy for the player to see how much damage they were outputting. And I was like, that's a really cool add-on. And he's like, I did this. And there were X amount of downloads for this um, project that I made, the software that I made um, for this game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's a really cool accomplishment. So, I mean, that goes to show, mm-hmm. like, even though it's just a game and even though it's, it's just something little that he added, 
so many people found value out of it. I, I don't know the exact number, but I know the download count was over 100K. I wow. know, it was something around that, around that page. So I was really impressed by that. And I was like, that's a really cool GitHub project that you worked on. And I think that you have a personal attachment to it too. Since you had played World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. you're like, ooh, like I know what that game is. That mod's real. Is it like a mod? Yeah, it's essentially it just like a mod. Yeah, an add-on mod. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that the reason why the project was so cool is because it had so much visibility? And so that person was able to say 100,000 people downloaded it and they're using it currently. Is that what gave it that extra clout? <laughs> yeah, clout. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I think that shows that he made something that was impactful. So if he, if he did that just for a video game, what do you think he could do if he's working in a corporate setting for a big company like AWS? Okay. There's correlations. Yeah, there, there can be correlations, definitely. And I just thought that that's a very talented thing. And he went out of his way to make it too. Okay. Has there ever been a GitHub project that you've seen that maybe didn't have as many downloads? What helps make someone stand out if they don't have a bunch of downloads? Or do you just pass them by and be like, mm. oh, this guy... Hasn't really done anything. A lot of people haven't really seen it. He doesn't have a CS degree. Like, why should I pick up this guy? You know? Like yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me too, I think a lot of the GitHub projects I looked at, um, they were yeah. very supplementary to what I initially saw in the resume. I wouldn't I wouldn't even check a lot of GitHub projects out unless I was like, all right, there's a lot of lot in the resume that I'm really interested in. Let me let me check their GitHub to see if there's more projects that, you know, they may have not mentioned. That's really the only time I'd really look. Um Otherwise, I would pass by a lot of resumes because there wasn't a lot of specificity in what they did. There wasn't a lot of clarification mm -hmm. on what what did they specifically do to have an impact on whatever they're working on. They were just listing out things that they were doing on a daily basis, their daily tasks, right? Mm -hmm. and, and just kind of like, this is what I did. And I'm like, okay, that's that's not really a lot of information um, and that's not really impressive or what we're looking for. We're looking for leaders. We want, we want to see mm -hmm. someone, um, even if they're just a college student, right? Even if you're just kind of starting out, you don't have any professional industry experience. If you show leadership qualities in terms of like a project, like I said yeah. earlier, that you led for school, that goes a mm -hmm. long way. And if you can really quantify uh, that data, it's, it's very big and something that a lot of recruiters are looking for. I have two questions for you now. I feel oh, like great. these are kind of like the controversial, like recruiter, right. <laughs> resume type of thing. So I just want to hear your opinion on them. So mm. the first one is, how do you feel about two-page resumes? And how do you feel about the summary section? You know how people put, I learn quickly, da, 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 but they write like a two or three sentence thing at the top of their resume. <laughs> do you like those? Or you see that you're like, nah, get that out of here. I want to see a list of skills instead. How do you feel about those two things? Yeah, so <laughs> I'll be completely transparent. <laughs> I'll be completely <laughs> transparent here. In my heyday, when I was at my best, I would say I sifted through 300 to like 350 candidates daily. 350 candidates daily? And the only way I would do that is if I took less than 10 seconds to glance at a resume. So I'm sure that goes to tell you a lot, right? Especially <laughs> in the tech industry, because I was looking for more senior developers, right? People with okay. five-ish years of experience or more, right? So specifically for me, there's just so many people in the pipeline, so many people jumping from, you know, the biggest fang companies to another fang company, yeah. or it's, it's yeah. called Mang now, whatever you want to <laughs> call it now. Um, but, but I didn't have a lot of time because I had to go through sure. so many. And it got to the point... I don't want to devalue recruiters by any means here. It got to the point where we basically were kind of reaching out to anyone that had a heartbeat. <laughs> like, okay. are you breathing? <laughs> no, but like, essentially, you have a pulse. Can you, can you code? Exactly. Can you code and do you have a pulse? That's what it ultimately yeah. came down to. 
And it was very low cost for us because we just invite them to take an online assessment. And if mm -hmm. they didn't pass the online assessment, it's no big deal to us because they take it on their own time. We just schedule it for them. We send it out and they can take it whenever, but the link expires. So I always kind of press my candidates to be like, hey, link is going to expire. Can you please take it on this date and give them a deadline, even though I can refresh it myself. Like I can just refresh the links. That's interesting. So yeah. let's let's go into that. <laughs> we can you talk can about refresh this. the link. So you send them a coding exam test preliminary, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. How long do they normally have to take it after you send them that link? This is like Amazon secrets, but not really. Like you're totally free okay. to disclose this information. Okay. But I was told personally to tell your candidates they have a seven day limit on the day after you send it. So you have one week. So you have one week to take it. Okay. Yeah. But because I was trying to be a personable recruiter, I wanted my candidates to put their best foot forward. One week may not be enough if they're completely out of touch with lead code, which is the style sure. of, of coding that they're going to be doing for this online assessment. So I would tell them, hey, man, I can always refresh this link, but it'll probably expire within a week. Um, and, and then if, if you can't hit the link or for whatever reason doesn't work, then just reach out to me and I'll, I'll reset the link for you. But take your time and study. And I would kind of give them tips and prep them and make sure they're really ready to take it. And I think that's what a lot of recruiters miss because for Amazon, mm -hmm. especially in AWS, recruiters saw it as a numbers game. We looked at the data. We looked specifically at like, all right, how many online assessments do you have to send out to get one candidate to go to an onsite interview? And then once mm -hmm. they make it to an onsite interview, will they accept the gotcha. offer? Gotcha. So we're looking at it through the pipeline and then just strictly data and saying like, all right, let's just send them out and then let's not communicate to these candidates until they either pass it and have to go to an onsite or that's it. That's kind of the end of the line. Mm -hmm. You just won't communicate after that and you'll just, they'll get sent in the email saying they got rejected automatically. So going back to the whole, like you can extend it, like what's the, the, what's yeah. the longest you've ever extended it for? Like a month, two months, like oh. I've. <laughs> there, I, I, there, I mean, honestly, there's probably still people <clears throat> that haven't taken it, um, even though I sent it back in like July, maybe, maybe even in June, and they just have it sitting in their email. So even though it's expired, and it was from like yeah. six months ago, you could still have them take it again six months later, even though the link expired after a week of you. Yes. Okay. I can just, I can refresh the link. I can go back, just refresh the link. They'll get an email saying like, hey, you can take the online assessment again. Um, the only issue uh -huh. is if they've already taken the assessment and if they've failed, mm -hmm. they have a six month cooling period before they can take it okay. again. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So it's like you failed the exam, but you have six months to freshen up on your skills, see if you could do a little bit better next time. And then you can exactly. send them another one six months later. Mm -hmm. interesting that that could be aws specific though just because amazon's so big sure. um the way they do the assessments are completely different some some may do a phone interview i know all of aws we're trying to standardize doing online assessments mm -hmm. which is sort of a bit more accuracy rate in terms of how candidates perform during the onset interview. okay and then when you would prep these candidates how would you prep them yeah, that's, that's a great question. So again, this is completely up to discretion of the recruiter. So as a recruiter, you have complete reign over how you handle talking to candidates, how you handle you know your pipeline, what you want to do, how personal you want to be, how much information you want to give them in terms of do you want them to text you back and stuff, do you want to give them your personal number. So for me, I would spend more time in prepping them and not really scaring them is probably not the best word, but like <laughs> really letting them know... <laughs> 
letting them know that this is not easy. Yeah. Like if you're out of touch with Lee Code, you're not going to do well on this test. And it's not going to be exactly like a real world uh, simulation, yeah. right? I, I tell them like, hey, you're going to want to hit the books again. You want to go back to some of the things you learned in college, right? Like hash maps. I mean, there's like some other terms. It's been a while since I prepped a candidate, but essentially, yeah, those are things they learned back in college mm-hmm. in their you know CS classes. So I'm like, go back brush up on some of those things, and then go and practice leak code at the leak code site. There's easy questions, medium questions, and then there's hard questions. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, if you can do the medium questions in around 30 minutes or less, you're going to be in good shape mm-hmm. for the test. Otherwise, I would, yeah, I would just study and practice and just keep doing those problems every day. I've heard that a really big thing for my friends in computer science is cracking the coding interview. So between that book and going to the Leak Code website, you're nodding your heads. So I'm assuming that's good advice. And so if you're to solve those medium level difficulty questions and then read through that book and do those practice exercises, would you say that you're in pretty good shape to pass an AWS interview for whatever position you're trying to get into? Yes, absolutely. So I'll I'll elaborate a little bit more because it'll make more sense in terms of context. I'll elaborate on the levels okay. for Amazon. So an SD1, they don't really need to know a lot about system design. That's going to be important later because that's the role for a more senior developer. But at Amazon, the way we say SD2 is like a senior developer for any other mid-market company. Okay. So the title is different where it doesn't seem like you're senior at Amazon, but it is actually a very senior level role. So yes, for interviewing at Amazon, if you look through Cracking the Coding interview, I think that's one of the best books by uh, Gail Lackman. Uh, McDowell, I think is the author's name. I always recommend that because a lot of the interviewers at Amazon, the ones that I've talked to, ones I've worked with, they recommend that book as well. So 100% use that book. And then practice lead code problems. I think that's one of the best things to do. Just go to the website and just just heads down, practice them. Maybe just a few a day. You don't have to spend hours every day. You know, just spend like an hour, maybe half an hour each day, whatever your preference is. And then the thing about the interview is that if you're more, I guess more junior, you have one or two years of industry experience and you don't know system design that well, but you know coding really well. If you can get some of that experience in system design, you could probably be leveled up to an SD2, which they get a much higher pay band. So I, I know it seems like a small step, but learning system design, knowing system design, that's really the only thing. Coding is all the same almost across the board from a junior developer to a senior developer. Obviously, it's a little bit harder for a senior developer, but Coding, in, in terms of like how you interview for it at Amazon, it's a very similar gotcha. bar. So yeah, lead code is it's important. And a lot of people find that to be BS, I, <laughs> lack of a better word. Okay. <laughs> because I just remember hearing from a lot of candidates that they'd be like, yeah, I know this is not like a real life simulation because we don't do lead code problems in work, sure. right? We don't do these problems every day. Sure. Like this is not something that it doesn't technically test how well I'm going to be as a corporate worker, right? (laughs) Or like what I'm going to produce. So that's, that's the part that kind of sucks. But at the same time, I don't usually counter argue with this, but in my mind, I'm like, well, you should still be able to do these basic fundamental questions Uh because they're essentially puzzles that will mimic what you do in real life. Um, It's kind of like the SATs where you're not going to really need to do those SAT problems again while you're in college, but you need to take the SAT exam for you to get into college, for you to get into these big Meng Fang companies. You have to practice the lead code and then prove that you have the skills and then that's how you get the job. Yeah, it's a skill, honestly. It's an interviewing thing too. Mm -hmm. So again, like coding is very important, but Amazon also has the leadership principles. Let's talk about that a little bit. 
Okay, so <laughs> say, yeah, it's a good segue. So Amazon's leadership principle. So let's say you are the best coder in the whole world. Mm-hmm. But I know that Amazon has its technical portion and then it has its non-technical portion. Walk us through the interview process of Amazon and how important the technical versus like the non-technical side, like the leadership principle side of it is weighed. Great question. Yeah, this is probably the best question. And the one I get the most often as well from candidates. Mm-hmm. I would honestly do like 80-20 in terms of technical 80% and then 20% behavioral questions. Okay. And that's kind of how you split up your time. And there's so much to talk about. It's kind of hard to So like... that's how you split up your time. But is that also yeah. the the relevance in getting you the job? So let's say you're 80% solid on your mm-hmm. technical part, but you get 20% <laughs> of the questions wrong for leadership principles. So let's say you're really, really bad at your leadership <laughs> principles, but you get like one or two that are pretty solid and you nail them down. Would you get it? So here's the fun thing. It would really depend on which leadership principle it is. Interesting. So they're not all weighed the same. Because they will, they will compromise. They'll be like, well, they're so good at coding, but they weren't very great in terms of this behavioral question. Are they coachable in this one? So there's a few things that you can be coachable in. And there's a few behavioral questions that we ask where if you answer in a certain way, we know you won't be coachable because that's just kind of your nature and your character. Like what can't um, you be coachable in? There's there's one called Earns Trust at Amazon. That's kind of the one we we take the most seriously out of all the behavioral questions in every single interview at Amazon. So earns trust essentially is your ability to um, obviously earn the trust of your teammates, earn the trust of you know any any customers that you're working with, of the business, et cetera. And are you kind of a team player, mm. right? So if, if there's any hint where you kind of make a out of line selfish decision or you do something really reckless, right? And you're not really being thoughtful, um, which it blows my mind how many uh, candidates will kind of blow it in their interview by saying something that's just way out of line or way out of hand saying like, oh yeah, I had a really bad argument with my manager. I just didn't agree with him. And in their heads, they're like, I was pushing back. I was being good because I know I'm my I'm disagreeing and committing. <laughs> you can say that. No, you can say that. But, but they had no data to back it up. They just said they based it off their feelings, right? So something like that, it does not earn the trust of their manager, does not earn the trust of their team. And maybe they just went and made the changes to a certain software, right? And then now they, they're like, all right, you just took that huge risk. Maybe it worked out and that's why they told the story. Maybe it worked okay. out and they got praised for it. But how risky is that? Like there was, there was no communication. There was no reaching out to a friend or a peer or a coworker being like, hey, what are your thoughts? Maybe I'll look something up and, and Google it and find like more data on this before I make any changes, right? We want to see that you're going to make big changes. We want to see that you're going to have an impact, but at what cost? Are you are you going to make some drastic change without any data? Like you're just going to go mm-hmm. for it based off a feeling? That's too risky. We don't want to bring someone like that on the team. Like don't work in a silo. We want collaboration. Exactly. Yeah. We don't okay. we don't want someone with a big ego essentially. I know it kind of sounds bad, but like that's gonna have a big impact. Like, are you a team player? Are you willing to um also by disagreeing commit, have backbone disagreeing commit? That that leadership principle is your ability to push back and say, Hey, I think this is better based on the data that I have, but the whole team wants to go a different route. Sure. Are you gonna agree to that? Or are you gonna be, you know, your own on another island by yourself, trying to make your own decisions and fighting against the team. Gotcha. So there's a fine line right between the two. It's like, are you disagreeing and committing because you already have all the data and you've done the research so that you know that this decision, even though you're disagreeing with the rest of your team has a cause behind it, where this is why we need to go in this direction. 
that's seen as like collaboration slash communication slash disagreeing and commit versus the other ones like i just feel like this is the right decision so we're gonna do this exactly that's what you don't want to see gotcha you don't want to say you don't want to go off feelings when you're getting interviewed you want to have hard data so i think a lot of people they they don't have a lot of notes in front of them or they don't bring notes to the interview but for the behavioral portion and this is i guess only for the tech side but behavioral portion i always encourage my candidates write down all your examples highlight any like percentages or numbers or data so you can just look down at your notes and pop them out whenever you have like a moment to talk about them that's interesting i've never heard that before Mm. to bring in notes to your interview is this only applying for virtual interviews or is this also applying for real life interviews like Mm. would you bring in index cards with this like information on it because like this is very interesting so fun fact for my interview at amazon i had an interview bookcase that had my resume and then my notes and i wrote down some examples from my previous job where i had certain specific data on like how i had an impact in a certain project or report or whatever and Uh i think a lot of the interviewers at amazon just in general we're very data driven so we respect that we think that's great and we think that you're a prepared candidate if you bring notes Interesting. So it's really important, I think, and almost imperative to your success to have those notes with you during the behavioral portion of the interview. That's fascinating. You Mm -hmm. brought like a pad folio. Absolutely. It was filled out. Interesting. So fun fact too, I also interviewed three times at Amazon. And they were all passing interviews, obviously. So my first one was for my contractor interview. Each interview was 30 minutes long and I met with three people. um, And they were all behavior questions. After I was employed, I went through a question bank that we have at Amazon and looked at all the questions they asked, and they were the same ones. So Amazonians, they'll look at a question bank based on the leadership principle they have, and there'll be a bunch of questions, like five to like 10 questions that are linked to that leadership principle. And they can choose whichever okay. one they want to ask that they think would be a good question in that moment, Yeah, yeah, yeah. depending on what kind of the stories the candidate's telling. So after being contracted for about six to nine months, they have you do a full interview loop to become a full-time employee at Amazon. And then I I had to go through three, they were roughly 45 minutes to an hour long interview. So they're a little bit longer. Um, Obviously they ask more questions because they expect you to have even more data, right? Because you're an Amazonian, right? So it it was Mm -hmm. surprisingly, it felt more challenging than just coming out from, coming from the outside to interview within, right? And then I had to interview yeah. again for my sourcing position. And a lot of them were theoretical questions on top of more behavioral okay. questions on like, how would you interact with a hiring manager in this situation, right? Because they want to see that my earned trust was high, that I'd be very yeah. collaborative and want to you know, be a team player. Gotcha. Interesting. That's really mm-hmm. good information and good to know. And so obviously you got all three positions, right? <laughs> yeah. So guys, now you know, you should bring a portfolio or write notes on your computer when you interview. It's a really great tip. Yeah, absolutely. You can even bring on. I know a lot of people when they're virtually interviewing to have like a second monitor with all the notes on there. I usually tell them to do that. Smart. And then another thing to build trust with your interviewer right on the spot, right? Just let them know like, hey, I might look off screen because I have my notes um, for the behavioral portion. Good one. So I always tell my candidate, let your interviewer know that they're going to like that. They're going to like the fact that you're trying to build trust with them um, and that you're not like blatantly mm. cheating or anything. Mm. Okay. I like that. I really, really like that. Overly communicate really what you're good. doing. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So going back a <laughs> yeah. little bit here, dialing it back a little bit. So if we have this perfect candidate, flawless and on his lead code, mm-hmm. right? Passes with flying colors, but maybe, maybe he doesn't earn his interviewer's trust. Mm. Does he get the position or does he not get it? Yeah. So that's a deal breaker. And 
I'd say the deal breaker. I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, it's up to the bar raiser, which is they're kind of an elite interviewer. So a little bit of context: our bar raiser is a non biased interviewer outside of the team completely. So they're not a part of the team, um, but they're invited to just interview the candidate. And these interviewers are elite. They're the ones that have the final say at the end of the interview. So when you say that they're not a part of the team, that means that they're not a part of the team that you would be working with. Exactly. But they're still at Amazon. They're Amazon employees. Okay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they're Amazon employees. Also helps to get them promoted, add to their portfolio. <laughs> but yeah, these these interviewers, they have the final say. I mean, they're essentially like the mm-hmm. judge if you're thinking about it from a courtroom perspective. So like everyone is saying yes, yes, yes for this candidate. Obviously, the hiring manager is like, yes, let's get this candidate in. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. But let's say they didn't do so well in like certain aspects and the bar raiser can be like, I think because their earns trust wasn't high or that their story wasn't a big team play story. They weren't really playing as a team. They were kind of doing their own thing and it was really risky. I think because of that, gotcha. we cannot bring this candidate to Amazon. And they have the final say, no matter what. I've seen these conversations happen in debriefs, what we call them, and it's very awkward <laughs> because everyone's like, yes, we should go for this candidate. Everyone's really happy about it. And like, it sounds like it's going to be a hiring. And then the bar raiser comes in and is just like, no, absolutely not. We can't. And it just kills the mood. Everyone pushes back. There's some arguing sometimes. Well, I don't want to call it arguing, but there's like healthy conversation going on. <laughs> a lot of times, yeah, one person could just flip the switch in terms of does the candidate get a hire or not. It doesn't even have to be a bar raiser. Sometimes it could be the interviewer too, just being like, I don't think they're good. And they'll state their reasons why. And it'll change everyone's opinion. Okay. So the power of persuasion is strong. But with the bar raiser, would you say that that's kind of like a supreme veto? Oh, they show? have they have ultimate veto power. Yeah. Okay. And so going back to the interview process, do you just have a phone screen and then you have your panel interview type of deal? Yeah. So let me break down the structure. For software developers, you take one online assessment. I guess there's multiple levels of passing. Regular passing, obviously, you just go straight to the final virtual onsite interview. Or there's a couple, you would go to like a manual code review where someone on the inside of Amazon will review the code because maybe the candidate finished it so quickly they thought they were cheating or the system thought they were cheating. Something like that, right? There's some weird like situations or maybe the code was kind of strange in terms of readability. So the uh, system can't really understand it and they need someone on the outside to look at it to pass the candidate to the next interview or not. Or they'd obviously just not pass. There's all those situations. Yeah, typically online assessment, you go to the final virtual round, which is again, four interviewers. And just to specify on what each of those four are, it's going to be one technical portion, as well as two behavioral. So sorry, two leadership principles. And they'll ask anywhere from two to four behavioral questions in each interview. So I'd say if it's an hour long, half of it is spent doing some sort of technical question and the other half is spent answering anywhere from two to four behavioral questions based on leadership principles that each of the interviewers So you get interviewed by each person for one hour long? Yep. You have four people, so it's a four hour long interview. With a break in between. It's not just a straight gauntlet of death. (laughs) (laughs) And so then you do an hour with each person and then there's a couple technical Mm -hmm. questions and there's a couple of leadership principle-based questions when you're interviewing with each person. Yep, that's correct. And so for your leak code session or the coding part, what language is that in or do you get Mm -hmm. to choose whatever language you want? I think I get this question a lot, but we pretty much allow the candidate code in whatever language they're comfortable in. We allow almost every language, maybe not some of the newer ones, but some of the ones that have been around for a while, both for the online assessment and for the virtual onsite interview. 
Yeah. Oh, so they actually ask coding questions in the in person interview. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah, they'll ask you some sort of question. It's going to be somewhat lead Cody. I, I think for the most part, it's going to be like 80% lead Cody, but they're going to try to apply it to like an Amazon locker. Like, how do you make this Amazon locker system work type of deal? Mm. But yeah, I think here's the deal though. Like we say that you can pretty much code in any language, but the preference usually is there's really only two. It's either Java or Python. Okay, that's good to yeah. know. So you guys say that, but you guys really mean Java and or Python. I would say it's highly dependent on the team that you join. And Amazon, like 90% of Amazon uses Java um, and Python up there as well. I wouldn't say it's the other 10%, but <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm just throwing throwing numbers and words out there. Okay. I'm that guy throwing all these random facts <laughs> without any any basis for data. Love that. Love that. Going directly against everything that you just told me. Oh, yeah. Me, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But Michael, I just realized you never answered my question about hmm. the summary session of resumes and oh, the yeah. two-page resumes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I look, again, five seconds. That's all I need to tell if a resume is good or not. Five seconds. Summary, not a lot summary of time. section, get that out of my face. Two pages, <laughs> get that out of my face. Let me just look at the first, like, literally, th- I think it's so, so important, guys. Like, if you're looking at your resume, what are the first three lines that you add in terms of what you accomplished at your job? Mm. Your current workplace what are your three biggest accomplishments? Put that on there, put numbers, put data, put percentages, whatever you can. That's going to be the most important thing. That's what we're going to look at initially. And then that's what's going to catch our eye to look at maybe the rest of the resume. Otherwise, if that's not something that's on there, nothing like really pops out to me. It's next, next. I'm just scrolling past you instantly. (laughs) That's brutal. So you're saying that for the first job position or whatever's on there, the first three bullet points are the most important. Absolutely. If you can start the first word, essentially, that first word, whatever it may be, whether that's some sort of like leadership skill, like a spearheaded this project, right? Something like that. If you can use a word like that, that's going to catch my eye. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. The recruiters don't care. You got five seconds, maybe 10 if you're lucky. Maybe 10. Yeah. Maybe 10. No, I mean, there there are some, again, every recruiter is different, but I think the top performing recruiters in terms of how many people they're able to bring in and and bring in the top talent, I don't think they even looked five seconds. Some people were so quick. They maybe looked at the title and they looked at your experience too, in terms of like where you worked, Mm -hmm. right? That's another thing I look at, like the dates um, and then the company that you work for, obviously for more tenured people. But if you're more new, again, those three bullet points, I think are going to be super important. How do you feel about candidates applying for like a million positions at Amazon? Like you pull up their profile and you see that they applied for like 20 jobs. (laughs) That that reaction just told me everything. (laughs) Another question. (laughs) Another question. Because I see that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for anyone that you know may have been a great candidate, but I completely skip them. I don't even. I don't even take a second. Yeah, I just go next. Really? Because that tells me that tells me that they're not getting interviews because they're applying to so many, right? Because mm. if they're applying to so many and no one has reached reached back out to them, what does that tell me? Right? That maybe they're not the right person for this this job. You look desperate. Yeah. You want any job, not that job, right? It's sad because like in a way, like maybe it's not desperation. Maybe it's hard work, right? Just to play devil's advocate and flip <laughs> it, right? They're putting all this time and effort because they want a job and maybe they do have the skills necessary. Hmm. So I will say on some instances, I, I have reached out to some of these people because I took the chance and looked at their resume. And I go, okay, they actually have some relevant information in their resume uh-huh. that shows that they may be a good fit for the job. 
And then I've had some candidates that did get offers from that. So again, very dependent on the recruiter, but every recruiter that I've talked to, they will usually skip over these candidates. (laughs) They won't even take a second or or even a beat to look at them. (laughs) If they have like over 200 applications to like different positions within Amazon, and they're not even like similar positions, they're just completely different, which also is another really big red flag. Let's say they are similar positions. They're all for around the same level, like level one, level two, let's say whatever. Yeah. What is an acceptable number of positions you can apply for where you're like, okay, not a red flag. This guy just wants a job within something that's similar role-wise. Probably like five. I'm going to be really generous here. Five to 10. Okay, so five to 10 is generous. What's conservative? Conservative? Personally, in my mind, three to five applications total. Yeah. Three to five. Okay. But the best way... Anything past 10. Anything past 10 is kind of like, uh, like, man, I, if you're applying to more than 10, like that doesn't look that great for you. It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not a good look overall, too, that you're applying to someone. If you're going to apply to more than 10, 10 roles within one company, why not spend that time to apply to other companies as well? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they did apply to like 100 roles at like all the other companies too. But I think that just lessens your chances. So don't do that. They just want to work at just Amazon. Just don't do it. I'm they, sorry. They really don't want do to. that. It, it's not good. A lot of recruiters <laughs> will completely pass you by. I'm serious. <laughs> they will. <laughs> okay. What is a respectable amount of time between the different roles that you apply for? So let's say they applied for over 10, but it's over the course of a year. Is that more respectable? Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because you can see the dates as you're scrolling through how many roles they <laughs> they applied for. And I see like I see the minutes too. I'm just like five twenty three, five twenty four, five twenty four, five twenty five. I'm just like, man, this guy's just you know he's just powering through and not even you know really, I don't know, reading the job description. They're just seeing maybe they can get a, a big mm. fish that way. They're doing a volumes game type of thing. Don't do that. It doesn't work. Don't um, spray and don't pray. Don't spray and don't pray. Don't spray, don't pray. I think, yeah, wait wait about a year. I mean, if you're not, if you don't get anything back, wait a year and then just, you know, work hard at your job. Try to excel in it. Try to try to find projects that are meaningful. Um, try to find ways to be more impactful in your role um, and be a leader in your role. That's going to be a big hitters that, that we look for in resumes. Should you wait like six months before applying again if you don't hear back? How long should you wait to hear back typically? It's respectable. Yeah, six months. I'd say that's pretty respectable. Okay. Maybe even three months, honestly. So if you don't hear back within three months, apply again. If you're a developer and you have a somewhat respectable company in your name, or let's say you have some relevant projects that you've potentially led and you kind of have that on your resume, you will most likely not have to apply because you probably have already gotten 25 Amazon emails from other recruiters. (laughs) And I know for a lot of college students, that's usually not the case, Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're a college student, you can always just directly apply for Amazon student programs. What is that? You take multiple online assessments. They're a little bit different than the ones you do at the industry software developer level. They're a little easier. I think you can do them a little quicker. And there's like a gauntlet they have to get through. And if you pass that, you automatically get accepted into Amazon and you just start as a, a first year developer. It guarantees you a role. So I think for a lot of students that have some projects that they've led, or maybe they've just built some software on their own, just a side project that they want to do for fun, right? Um, they have that on their resume. They should apply for student programs um, instead of like hoping to hear from a recruiter just because they don't have that experience. They're probably not going to get people reaching out. Since <laughs> you've been with Amazon for a, a little while, you hear a lot of good things and a lot of bad things, very like polarizing on both ends. Why did you stay at Amazon for as long as you did? What were your favorite things about Amazon? I've stayed at Amazon for 3.8 months. Years. So three years, eight months. Sorry. I made that very confusing. I'm like three three point eight three months years. years so like... Eight months. Yes. Three point eight. Um yeah. 
that's a pretty yeah, pretty long time. I have to put a lot of credit onto the team that I was on. Because a lot of them, um, friends and, and family now, like people that I really trust and I really enjoy working with. But I think it depends on the team that you end up on. I know this is, it's kind of cliche because it's a lot of corporations are like this. You might end up on a great team. You might end up on a bad team. But the fun thing about Amazon, this is this is a big pro for me, is if let's say you're on a team for about a month or two and you're just not jiving with anyone. Uh, maybe your manager is really not that great. Maybe your peers are just, I don't know, like jerks and they're just not fun to be with. You can always apply for a transfer and find a different role or find a different team that you want to transfer over to. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. You just have to put in like a ticket to HR. And most people can do that pretty easily. There's no problem doing that. Mm. I feel like people have that option. And that's that's a big sell that I would use to say to candidates. And they would love that option. They're like, oh yeah, that's great. Um, because they would ask me the same question you're asking me now. Like I hear a lot of interesting things about Amazon. <laughs> But you have a lot of power. You have the power to make the change that you want in your life in that role. Yeah. You can just go to HR or you can find a way to join a different team. You can have a coffee chat with another manager. You just have to look it up Mm. in the Amazon's directory. Like it's really easy to connect with anyone you want. Um, And there really are like limitless potentials. Like if you're going to join Amazon, just be ready for a lot of ambiguity um, and be ready to learn because it's not easy. It's going to be really hard and they're going to ask you to be really scrappy. Like you're not going to get a lot of information. They're going to throw you into the fire, you know, see if you come out not burned or whatever. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that metaphor, but essentially it's not easy, right? <laughs> they want to see that you're going to stay afloat if they can throw you in the water and you don't drown, right? Um, that's a bit bit of a better metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's where it's a plus in the way where you will learn a lot yeah. in even a year or two. That's why people move on from Amazon after a year. They learn so much there. I mean, maybe it's not getting too hard, but yeah, they can move from that role into any other company and they will excel incredibly at that company. Mm-hmm. I know that you source <laughs> yeah. through LinkedIn sometimes. How do you source candidates mm-hmm. through LinkedIn? I've always wondered this myself. Like, I don't know how recruiters find me ever. <laughs> like, how, how does that so, work? Really cool. You can get LinkedIn Recruiter, which is a separate program from the LinkedIn website that you already have. It's a business account. You usually have to pay for it. And it gives you a choice to filter candidates. And you can kind of find based on people's job titles, um, based on how many years they've been in the industry, based on the school they went to, the location that they're in. You can put in all these filters. You can put in specific keywords. And by doing so... It'll pull up a list of candidates 25 at a time where you just go page by page and go through and put candidates into your pools, um, which we can just filter ourselves. Gotcha. And this is usually pull information uh, keyword wise from their bio. Is that more common? or Bio, resume, it pulls from everything on your profile. Wow. What is your favorite thing to look at? Uh, Do bios even matter? I feel like a lot of people, they don't have bios on LinkedIn. They don't. So what would show up for me is it would show me their years of experience and what companies they worked at and okay. what their titles were and what they did, kind of mm-hmm. like roughly what they did at the companies. And that's all I would look at. Again, that's why I'm saying it's almost irrelevant for the resume because I'm looking mostly at the experience and kind of what company they worked at previous, yeah. just because I was working with more tenured software developers. Gotcha. So guys, bios don't matter. Bios don't matter on your LinkedIn. They don't matter on your resume. No one cares, apparently. <laughs> Unfortunately not. It's a waste of time. <laughs> Apparently a waste of space too. <laughs> like, yeah. No, yeah. I, I think LinkedIn Recruiter doesn't even show that. It only shows 
Because, like, it's giving us the view of not your profile, but it literally just tells us your name, your title, maybe what school you went to, currently what location you're in, and then all your experiences that you have listed on there and your accomplishments. So, again, you can put those accomplishments in there, I think, and that's what's going to show up. So just be really specific. Put your top three, again, at the very top Mm -hmm. of your biggest accomplishments because that's what we look at and that's the initial thing we see. That's great insight. Now, if I want to become a CS developer, I know what I need to do. Yeah, you do. It's <laughs> a lot of lead code. That's what they can Thanks for tuning into Tech Exploited. If you learned anything from today's episode, could you do me a huge favor and please share this with friends, family, and anyone else who might need these tips? See you guys in the next one.